Check out the flicks. I actually broke the news to Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, about the new title of the upcoming Star Wars movie. Oh, what was it? What was it? Attack of the Clones. What's it? Attack of the Clones. Is that real? Yes. What do you think about that? I don't know about that. <laughs> when I did Star Wars, it's the whole project was an exercise in reining myself in and designing a film to be able to get the maximum amount of strange environment and exciting spaceship action out of very, very little. I don't really have to rein myself in anymore. Welcome to episode two. Roll, please. It's not really a mystery. Everyone knows that I'm going to the dark side. It's kind of like the Titanic sinking. Annie. Anakin. Annie makes me sound like a little boy. You look at those eyes and there's just so much happening there. Hayden had all the elements of the character. I try to grow up too fast. I am grown up. You try to give flashes of, of, of darkness and flashes of just pure innocence just to try to bring everything together. He was able to pull that off very well. That was a hard thing to do. Giving yourself to the Jedi means giving your whole life. <clears throat> well, cut that. <laughs> Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones opens May 16th. Welcome to Star Wars at the Movies. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. About the movies. An international oral history of cinematic experiences from a galaxy far, far away. So it's really wonderful um, to go and sit in the theater and just be have all this visual eye candy and also this, you know, really exciting, suspenseful storylines. You're just sitting there the whole time, just, you know, completely, uh, all your senses are just, you know, at, at their at their most heightened states. But it's also about money and technology. Good to G.O. When George first began to speak to me about episode two, when George said to me, why don't you make a love theme? It's like the old Hollywood movies. Yes, it's premiere night here for Attack of the Clones, but outside the Ziegfeld Theater is the real show, Return of the Dorks. If the movie is good, people are going to want to see it. They're not going to want to see it just because it was done digitally. Tell me about the excitement here, For You've been here for how long? Uh, I've been here since April 4th, because this is the greatest theater on earth with the biggest nerds of all time. Oh. Oh. A lot of romance in this No, one. it's awesome. Even in the fighting, there's romance, and he's fighting for love, and he can't fight for love. Oh, so good. And Hayden's hot. Yeah, what do we think about Hayden's that performance in the movie? Yeah, that doesn't hurt the movie. Hello there. Wow. So here we are with the 20th episode of Star Wars at the Movies. And how else could I begin this sixth season of the podcast than by commemorating a second 20 year mark? Two decades of Attack of the Clones. I'm Stephen Danley. And yes, it's time to revisit, remember and reflect on episode two and the summer of 02. 
And I think it's safe to say that looking back 20 years, George Lucas went absolutely wild when it came to the creation of this movie in ways that definitely couldn't have been fully appreciated at the time. I'm not sure we can even sufficiently appreciate them now. We will get into a lot of that, and when I say we, I'm referring to the wonderful lineup of fans and friends who were gracious enough to share their stories that made this moment in Star Wars movie-going history. Much like adolescence itself, Attack of the Clones represents that foundational life stage of being simultaneously unsure of and overconfident in oneself, a bit awkward, yet totally off the wall with reckless excitement. I was 16 going on 17 when this movie came out, and the memories tied to it as a cinematic experience are completely inseparable from the confusion of being a relatively introverted teenager just trying to figure it all out. Being the oldest of three teenagers in our household that was still navigating our parents' recent amicable but undeniably disorienting divorce, I wanted to think of myself as a calm, collected Obi-Wan type, but was probably a, a sulky, agitated Anakin more often than I'd realized or would care to admit. Either way, I was still completely obsessed with Star Wars, though maybe a bit self-consciously. That's 16 going on 17 for you. Though I did enjoy The Phantom Menace for the most part three years earlier, I could sense a shroud of cynicism beginning to fall over friends, classmates, and whatever bits of popular culture I was consuming in its aftermath. But I had faith that the story and style had to grow up a bit in the next installment. With the internet established at both of my parents' houses, I was also primed to absorb as much official Episode 2 data as I possibly could. StarWars.com became my home in the web world, and as soon as I read the announcement that a teaser trailer was going to be playing ahead of Monsters, Inc., I was happy to volunteer to take my then seven-year-old nephew to see it at Galita's relatively new Camino Real Cinemas. The new Pixar movie, that is. Not the first glimpse at the next Star Wars movie. Right. I had never been more hyped sitting in a theater to watch a trailer than I was on that evening of Friday, November 2nd, 2001. And though what I saw was really just a mere morsel, it completely blew my mind. The simple montage of enticingly curated silent moving images set to Darth Vader's breathing and the increasingly intense underlying strings, the clash of the sabers to top it off, was going to get real. And come to think of it, that was the first and last pure big-screen Star Wars trailer reveal I'd ever witness, with everything going online and TV-focused from there on out. Maybe that's why I still think of it so fondly. Anyway, a half hour or so into Monsters, Inc., which I absolutely adore to this day, but couldn't have cared less about in that moment, I was still mulling over the less than a minute of clones content when my poor nephew suddenly left his seat and pulled me out of the theater. He rushed to profusely barf in the bathroom, and our night at the movies was done. <laughs> Sorry, Ezra, but uh, I'm glad it didn't hit sooner. Over the coming weeks and months, the fuel for the Episode 2 pre-release fire continued to blaze. 
The tantalizing George Lucas selects set photos were a weekly puzzle to try and decipher on StarWars.com. Whether it was Jango Fett singing in the rain or some obscure control panel or an alien's forehead. Whatever sliver, it was awesome. The classic behind-the-scenes webisodes leading up to the premiere were even better and would be just unheard of these days. I still use the phrase good to G.O. on a regular basis. Good to G.O. Lucas seemed relaxed and chipper as I'd ever seen him. This was going to be great. But I needed more, and for that, I would turn to my good friend Brock Walker. He's batting leadoff once again here, so let's head to Murray, Kentucky. R4, Scrabble Code 5 to Coruscant, care of the old folks home. So the two of us, we first connected online and we're becoming friends in like 2000 or 2001. And that was through collecting and having the internet and, and AOL Instant Messenger message boards and all that. But I had never even considered the possibility of discovering anything about episode two through unofficial channels. And I, I seem to remember you asking me at some point if I'd be interested in learning more about the movie. I was just like, <laughs> how? Like, <laughs> I was just so, so naive. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that's kind of what I do. It seems to be, <laughs> or whatever. I, I always find myself in these odd places on the internet yeah. at various times, finding out things that most people don't want to know about this kind of stuff. Yeah, like thinking back about it now, it really felt like a. Did you ever hear of the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Like scenario, you're asking <laughs> me. Like, did you ever hear of <laughs> of spoiler sites? I'm like, no, no, not at all. But you, I think you kind of convinced me to give in to spoilers to try it out for the second movie, just to see how the experience was. And I'm like, oh yeah, sure. And I feel like you were giving me information all the time. So like, what was the, the spoiler scene like back in like the early 2000s? And where did you go to find things? Like where, what was your, what was your roadmap to, to learning about everything episode two that you weren't supposed to know? Uh, the funny thing is, is I don't remember exactly how I fell into it. I think it was the first time I'd really, you know, delve into spoilers that much or whatever, because I, I remember episode one kind of got spoiled for me by accident with that song that they, that rap song they'd released about Qui-Gon dying or something. And I don't know. And so I didn't think too much about it, but there was, and I think the website's still out there, the force.net had a, uh, a forum, a spoiler forum, and I just happened upon it. I just went down a rabbit hole and it led me to so many different things. And I, I couldn't even remember, the, you know, the websites now that all I went to. But the funny thing about it was, is it eventually led me to a place out of South America, I believe it was, that you could actually order a copy of the movie well before it come out. And I, I actually bought, you know, it couldn't possibly be real, but I actually bought a VCD. And when it arrived, sure enough, it was the whole movie. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> and I, I can remember, and the funny thing is, is I actually ended up not watching all of it because I, after I got through the, the chase sequence of, uh, you know, uh, Django and Zamwissel and all them and the speeders throughout Coruscant, uh, once I got to that, I kind of felt bad and didn't really want to see the rest of it because it was such a grainy copy watching it on a really bad computer at Terrapin Station where I worked. <laughs> We would we would upload it and we would try to watch it while in between customers coming in and out of the store. And at some point, I finally got to uh, I just I don't want to see it this way. 
Um, and stopped myself from watching it beyond that. I mean, I, I may have seen, you know, like when Anakin cuts the slugs off of Padme or whatever, and that was about the last I seen of any of it. Shut it down from there because I think at that point we were maybe three or four weeks out from the movie. I decided now let's just do it the right way. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like the the purest theatrical experience. <laughs> I mean, it, it, and it was. It was. I mean. It, it was the sound was bad. The picture quality was bad. The camera, which I guess it was, they filmed it from some kind of uh, preview screening somewhere, you know. And I, I'm sure it wasn't actually shown where the the VCD come from. The VCD just had to come from a company outside of the U.S. for whatever reason. And then, and it was one of those websites that the address changed daily because <laughs> they were selling stuff. You know, it wasn't just that. It was all kinds of movies. You could get just about anything you wanted. Not that I promote or endorse doing such things right just just saying yeah i completely forgot i remember you telling me about you having it right before um i what i remember most is you would send me every now and then really grainy set photos from <laughs> from australia and they were just it was just oh, yeah it was just you know because of the way the movie was made it was really just the actors with like one prop and then a lot of blue screen around them and you would try to try to explain to me <laughs> what was going on and what it was all about. And I was just, I remember just being, com- having a completely different notion of what the movie was going to be going in compared to what I, what I saw. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it's funny, but I completely forgot about them filming that down in Australia and everything and all that stuff that was leaking through that people were sneaking around, climbing over fences and taking pictures and all that stuff. And it's funny because it's kind of the way things still are today to an yeah. extent with all of these, with the, the Disney Plus series and everything. People, you know, hiding in the bushes, taking pictures of, you know, actors walking from their trailer Right. You know, to the set with you no know, big robes on and trying to decipher based on their boots what characters are playing. And <laughs> it, it's funny, it's not really changed all that much, except that the pictures are much clearer. Right. Yeah, I was to say, I mean, you, you've kept up. Like, I, I did decide after going through that once, I'm like, nah, I think, you know, I, I totally appreciate it. I don't think it's for me, but I know you've kept up the <laughs> the, man, the mantra of, of spoilers. So, and you're just as happy as ever. So, I, I think that's. <laughs> Yeah, it, it doesn't seem to bother me. I, I tried my best to stay away from them for Obi-Wan, but then I fell down again yet another rabbit hole a while back, and I think I know the series front to back at this point. So as long as what I'm reading is true, sounds like it's going to be a good thing. So okay. there you go. I'll let, Hey, when we get off of this, I'll, I'll let you know anything you want to know. Just ask. <laughs> I, I do appreciate the always the offers. The offer at the Opera House is still there. It, it's <laughs> uh, Oh, man. So... I think we finally got to meet up in person at Celebration 2 in Indianapolis, which was just, that whole experience was such a trip. And I, I don't even know how we actually communicated with each other, but I somehow knew to find you and Shannon and your friend Gordo in line waiting to see Yoda footage. And I had no idea that was even a thing. It's just insane to me that they would show that well ahead of the movie's release. How many times did you guys end up waiting to watch that footage? To, to be to be honest, I don't really remember. I, I just know that that show was one of my bigger regrets, and uh, and I, I don't mean that necessarily in a really bad way. But the fact that we didn't get a chance to hang out more than we did, it just 
I, I've seen so busy at that show that I just kept finding myself not having time to do anything that I really wanted to do and was more doing things that I felt like I had to do. And so looking back on it, I wish I had like just skipped the line <laughs> and hung out more, which is kind of the way I've been ever since. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, know, I know that I did a little bit of that at the next celebration for episode three, but not nearly as much. I, I remember, if I remember correctly, Gordo's, was smoking or something and maybe you found him or he found you because you had on a shirt. I think that was it. I remember running into him outside. That I had made for you. Yes. And then he he realized, I think, I think he may have even addressed you as Jedi Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Disrupting the transmission really quick here to, to state for the record that my original username from the Rebel Scum forums in 2001 was in fact Jedi Steve. Yeah. Okay, back to Celebration 2 with Brock. And uh, and then I know that you and your mom come up to us and hung out for a little bit and kind of seems like it may have been the last time we actually seen each other at the show, but I, I can't remember for sure. That's been yeah. far too many sweet-filled nights since then. He found me outside and, and then he said, oh, I know where they're at. <laughs> he, he took us in. Was that? I mean, that was your first celebration as well, right? You didn't go to the first one. Yeah, yeah, I didn't make the first one. I mean, it's funny because the first one wasn't even a thought to attend. I thought, yeah, right. there's no way I can do that. I can't go all the way out to Colorado and do that. No. And then once this one's a little bit closer to home, being drivable, the rest is kind of history. Been hitting all of them ever since. But no, I, I, I think the biggest thing I remember about that time period is the waiting in line for exclusives or whatever, and the, the hype around the movie making everything else seem like you know it was a worthy investment. Which it, which it was at the time, not so much now, probably. I remember being blown away by the Yoda footage and not seeing it for its goofiness at the time. And now, I mean, I still appreciate it. I, I'm not one of these fans that really get upset about him hopping around like a little frog with a lightsaber. It doesn't bother me that much, but I can see why other people do. But I remember thinking at the time, it was going to be the best thing we've ever seen <laughs> on screen ever. Yeah. We're, now, Little did they, I know. Yeah, I. So I, I feel like at that point you must have been well aware that that scene was going to be in the movie. I think you must have told me, and I still. I think I was hesitant, probably to wait in line to watch it, but also was probably hesitant to see it. I think I wanted that to be a surprise. But were people pretty uh, pumped up in in that uh, in that celebration screen? They were. They they were. I mean, and I think pretty much you know now that most fans when they wait in line to see something. I, you, don't really hear too many people being disappointed. I think it's the hype, the excitement of seeing something new, you know, and definitely unexpected. But whatever I mean, I, of course, I knew that, you know, the Yoda fight sequence was going to happen. I just didn't know exactly how it was going to look. And so him hopping around and doing whatever for the little bit of time that we got to see it. Yeah, the, the, the crowd was pretty pumped coming out. I mean, kind of like with the episode three thing, you know, after seeing the space battle. You know, where they gave you a little bit of footage of, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan coming over the top of the destroyers or whatever, and then this massive space battle going on. Everybody was super, super pumped. May not have played out quite the way we thought it was going to, but <laughs> back then, like I said, it, it, it was everything. People yeah. were pretty jazzed coming out of the, the theater. I just can't imagine, because of exactly what you're saying, just any little bite that they share now gets people so just over the top that to imagine them showing something so significant at a celebration now ahead of a movie or show it's just it still blows my mind right. that, that 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 happened and, and they shared a lot i think with episode two they really were i wonder if they were trying to you know recover from somewhat of the backlash of episode one 
Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. And they felt they needed to try to, you know, say, "Hey, people, we we've, we've made up for it. It's it's better. It's going to be better. Yeah. Not really, but it's going to be better." <laughs> no, that's. I think that's a good point. I, I think you're right. Getting up to the the movie's release, what was the scene like in Murray leading up to the release? Did you guys camp out again? Was it at the same spot? It was funny because this time, we. I don't think. I don't believe I camped out three days like I did for episode one, three or four days, whatever, but it definitely was a day and a half, a couple of days, whatever. I got there first or whatever and thought, okay, nobody's coming. You know, I'm here by myself sitting in the heat. Nobody's coming. And then people slowly started to trickle in, you know, whatever. And a few people that I knew. And the next thing you know, we've got people bringing couches and, you know, vehicles with TVs in the back of them. We're all sitting around watching movies and everything. We, we had a good time. It was it was pretty exciting. And funny thing is, is hardly any of those people have I seen since. But <laughs> for one night, we were all the best of friends. It, it was pretty exciting. And uh, they, of course, they did. And they had contests for free tickets and this and that, and yada, yada, yada. But uh, no, we, we had a good time. And uh, the funny thing is, is I don't remember it being that way for episode three. So I think like with each movie, it got a little bit less and a little bit less. But episode two was still pretty, pretty happening. Uh, you know, line wrapped around the building, that kind of stuff. And you saw a midnight show? Yeah, a midnight show, yeah. And uh, then turned around and went right back the next day and watched it a couple more times for like afternoon and evening shows. It almost sounds like I liked it. <laughs> almost. With all that knowledge you had going in, what, what did you think about it that night? And, you know, when did you, when did you fall out of love with it? And the funny thing is, in reality, you know, I wouldn't say I ever loved the movie, but I didn't ever, I didn't really hate it at all. I didn't really have anything against it at the time when it come out and the subsequent times that I watched it after that. I mean, it was new Star Wars and I ate up everything. So, I mean, I was still collecting modern stuff at the time. So everything Star Wars was good as far as I was concerned. And, you know, I, I, I think I ended up seeing it, I don't know, seven or eight times at the theater and didn't really hate it or anything. You know, it, it was good. I was excited to see where it was all going and this and that. And then the next celebration, wow, that, that hotel in Indianapolis in the lobby just kept playing that Geonosis scene over and over and over again. And I've never been so sick of Mace Windu in all my life. And I really like that character. But for whatever reason, that scene just kept playing. Oh, it didn't matter what time of day I was in the lobby. Him talking to Count Dooku at the Battle of Geonosis was on the screen. And I was over it at that point. I was like, I'm just done. I don't like this movie. You know, it's not, it's getting worse by the second. And to this day, I still despise it to an extent. But the party was over. I I don't hate, yeah, the party was definitely over. Master Windu, how pleasant of you to join us. This party's over. You know, that was such a fun celebration because that was like the, the celebration that I really got into hanging out with people and rooming with, you know, Derek and Bob and hanging out with you a whole lot more and, uh, your, you know, getting to know your mom better and just, you know, in that in that lobby. And then it just, wow, Mace Windu kind of ruined it for me all. And I love the character. I really do like Mace Windu at this point, but that was not a good experience. Yeah, you couldn't get away from it. It didn't matter where you sat. What time of day you couldn't get away from it? And maybe because I despised it so much at that point, it seems like it played more than it really did. Maybe other people would be like, no, they didn't really play it all that much. I don't know. But it just seems like it was on constant loop and just couldn't get away. And I thought, you know, why are you not playing like all of the films? 
why is this the the one scene that y'all just you know I don't know maybe there was a scratch on the DVD I don't know. <laughs> this party's over. This party's over. This party's over. So now that twenty years have passed, how do you feel about not necessarily that that scene, but the the movie itself? Where do you stand on Attack of the Clones now? Honestly, I still think it's the worst of all of the movies, but I over-exaggerate how much I really hate it. I like bits and pieces of it here and there. I think some of it's really well done. I think other parts of it are just so bad, but that goes with almost the entire prequel trilogy. You know, you take bits and pieces of all three movies, you can make a really great movie, but I've grown to appreciate most of the prequel trilogy as I've gotten older, but episode two is just a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> I, you know, like I, said, I don't hate it and I do over-exaggerate a little bit, but it, it's definitely my least favorite of all of them. I don't know if it's because of, you know, how much CGI is in it and I don't feel like anything in it's real compared to other ones. I mean, episode one's got CGI, but I don't have a problem with episode three the same, but for some reason, I mean, it's just like that, you know, final scene of the destroyers taking off and showing the clone troopers and everything. It just, it looks like an animated movie to me. And I, I think that's what kind of throws me out of it. Some of the storyline I'm not overly wild about, but. Yeah, it's not my favorite, but I still appreciate it for what it is. I know it kind of sounds weird, but, you know, I would say this. Whenever it's on TV and I'm flipping through the channels, I don't stop. I just keep going. I, it sounds like I absolutely hate it. I accept it for what it is. I just, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's not my favorite. Sorry, clone fans. Sorry. I kid. I, I get it. it. It needs to be revisited. And I got to revisit it a lot as Bronx was getting older because he liked it. So I got to see it. Not quite like, you know, hotel lobby loop, but it was on in the house a lot too. And yeah. it just kind of, you know, reinforced that, you know, it's not my favorite. Yeah. It's got, it's got its moments. How to explain the force of the Star Wars phenomenon. By the thousands they came to this Star Wars convention in Indianapolis. How to explain why this is a celebration of something more than a movie. It's almost religious. I definitely believe in sort of this major conflict of good versus evil, so I know that there's some deeper reality to the whole thing. Star Wars celebrations became such an important extension of the pre-release mania for upcoming films. That second one in Indianapolis was my first, and one that I will always remember. I went with my mom, an alum from IU in nearby Bloomington, who also wanted to go explore some of her old stomping grounds. I'll never forget the moment we arrived at the hotel the night before the convention started. The first thing I saw as we stepped off the airport shuttle was a group of dudes in stormtrooper armor, unloading large caches of weaponry from a taxi. We then came across a rather portly fellow in a legitimate Darth Vader costume in the lobby who'd customized the mouthpiece of his helmet to flip open so he could smoke cigarettes. Where in the hell were we? It was a bizarre, incredible weekend, and so incredible that after that first day, my mom decided she had to go buy a video camera at a local Circuit City. Hey, remember those? Uh, to try and capture it. I have a disc of that footage somewhere, and I really need to dig it out. I also remember in between making rounds in the main exhibit hall, having to come back to the hotel room to study for some upcoming AP history exams that were taking place the week we were getting home, which totally sucked. There was so much great Star Wars chaos and Episode 2 hype going on across the street that I was missing out on, but I was there and that was what mattered. Here's a story from a returning guest and a friend of the pod, and well, just a great friend, Dave Brott, who got caught up in Celebration 2 mayhem and some Episode 2 trailer anxiety. 
Hello to Stephen Danley and everybody else listening to uh, Star Wars at the Movies. Uh, this is Dave Bratt uh, with some Attack of the Clones memories. Um, I'm a Cincinnati, Ohio uh, Star Wars collector and Star Wars fan. Um, I'm sure many of you have uh, m- memories like I do uh, from that time. I remember, uh, gosh, 20 years ago, uh, trying to catch the trailer during an episode of The O.C., and uh, <laughs> which was a show I'm embarrassed to admit that I actually already watched. I had some friends that watched it. And then, of course, that makes uh, you watch it as well. So I would watch it uh, ironically and then go to school and talk to my students about what actually happened, many of whom were ninth graders that watched it uh, very sincerely. Anyways, uh, so, yeah, watching the OC, we T-vote it. And um, the very first uh, Attack of the Clones trailer, if memory serves, was on television. Um, it it might have been the theatrical one as well that I'm forgetting, but uh, I think that uh, the first time I saw this particular trailer was at the end of this episode of The O.C., and I remember watching the show the whole hour, um, every commercial break, really settling down that this might be it, this might be it. And, uh, of course, they did it at the very last one. And, of course, I was recording this on my TiVo, and, of course, because it was right at the changeover from, I think, uh, the 8 o'clock time slot to the 9 o'clock time slot, TiVo only recorded the OC up to a certain point, and it clicked out. And not only did I miss recording the trailer, I missed part of the trailer. So I didn't get to see the whole thing at once at that time, which was very aggravating. And uh, that whole experience is uh, parodied in an episode of South Park. I don't know if you guys remember the episode where um, all the kids in South Park want to see the Terrence and Philip movie part two, uh, the sequel to the Terrence and Philip movie. And they're having to watch this show, uh, Russell Crowe fighting around the world. And they keep uh, tuning into this show that they really hate because uh, they want to see the new Terrence and Philip uh, trailer. I am, um, I was then, and am convinced now that is one hundred percent a parody of uh, my evening with uh, the OC and the Attack of the Clones trailer. I'm relatively confident. I don't know if I read anywhere that Matt and Trey said that, but it aired shortly after that, and I think a lot of us had that experience of trying to watch this trailer and it getting screwed up. Wait a minute! Look, the following preview is. This is it! This is it! Coming this summer, the greatest Canadian duo of all time is back. Um, anyway, once I saw the trailer, I remember it sticking with me. I liked that Palpatine looked older. He looked haggard. I remember that in the trailer, and he was saying, I will not condone a course of action that will lead us to war, or something to that effect. And noticing he had, like, liver spots and things and looked, you know, tired. I thought that was a cool little, um, effect. And it's weird that that's what I remember, because I don't really remember anything else in the trailer. Uh, we didn't really know much about Hayden Christensen then, so I think I was probably watching for some of his, uh, acting. Uh, but then, as time went on, it came time to actually uh, get some tickets for this thing. So, um, unlike uh, before, uh, you may recall I told a story about getting fired from a job uh, to uh, go see The Phantom Menace. 
And uh, I didn't want that to happen again. I just started my teaching job. Uh, so uh, the tickets, you know, I was going to go and wait at night uh, for these tickets. But I learned that they were actually going on sale, you know, like much earlier this time, I think. My memory of it is, is that they uh, announced the theater where I wanted to see this announced that they were going to go on sale on a certain Friday, I think it was. It was the same Friday that Star Wars Celebration 2 was happening in Indianapolis. Uh, so I uh, drove uh, down there in the morning, and I called in sick uh, from school to do this. And this is uh, one of the only times, I've only done that twice in my entire life, where I fake called in sick to uh, a job um, to do a Star Wars thing. And the last time I did it, I got fired. So this time, I didn't want to for my new job teaching, uh, and uh, luckily, it didn't end up happening. I called in sick, and I uh, went down in, in the morning, and I think I got there at about 6.30 in the morning, waited in line for a box office that I think opened at 9 a.m., uh, bought tickets for my whole crowd, my whole group of friends that were all going to go together in a couple weeks when the movie opened. And uh, then I drove, once I got the tickets, I drove out to Star Wars Celebration in Indianapolis and um, yeah, went straight to that. So I remember enjoying that quite a bit. Um, I wish I'd uh, known uh, about Celebration, what I do now, about how to kind of get the most out of it. Uh, that was my first Celebration, Celebration 2 in Indianapolis, only two hours from Cincinnati. Uh, so I was very excited to attend. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Um, I remember going to the Rick McCallum panel and seeing the uh, footage of Yoda fighting uh, Dooku which was pretty much blew my mind at the time. It was pretty electric. I really wasn't expecting that. I was expecting, you know, Yoda to be kind of a wise sage Jedi master that wouldn't necessarily be in any kind of fight. Uh, but I was sure wrong about that. We saw him jumping all over the screen. Um, had mixed feelings about that at the time. It was exciting that night. Uh, it was pretty electric in the room, and it was a great time. Uh, then as far as going to the actual movie... Uh, I don't have as memory, many memories from that. I think we went in pretty much without, uh, without incidents. Uh, nothing happened. I kept my job, and all was well. So relieved that your employment wasn't attacked by the clones, Dave. But I feel your trailer pain. Speaking of trailers, November 2001 would see two more Episode 2 teasers, with one internet-exclusive titled Mystery, initially only unlockable on November 9th with your Phantom Menace DVD and your Windows PC or Mac. It was just before dawn. They came out of nowhere. Do you have any idea who's behind this attack? We will find out who's trying to kill you, Padme. I promise you. Escort the senator back to the boot. She'll be safer there. I do not like this idea of hiding. Sometimes we must do what is requested of us. Dangerous and disturbing this puzzle is. You're using her as bait. <gasps> I'm a Jedi. A Jedi? What do you know? He went that way. This is a shortcut, I think. Stay away from the park coupling. We decided to come and rescue you. Good job.
The next, a full two-minute teaser trailer dubbed Forbidden Love made its way to StarWars.com a week later on November 15th in theaters the following day ahead of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It's a great pleasure to see you again, lady. It has been far too long, Master Kenobi. Annie? My goodness, you've grown. So have you. You've grown more beautiful, I mean. Just being around her again is intoxicating. Be mindful of your thoughts, Anakin. They betray you. You have made a commitment to the Jedi Order, a commitment not easily broken. Please don't look at me like that. Why not? It makes me feel uncomfortable. Sorry, m'lady. Must be difficult having sworn your love to the Jedi. Not being able to do the things you like. I'll be with the people that I love. Are you allowed to love? Thought that was forbidden for a Jedi. Making fun of mm, no, no, I'd be much too frightened to tease the Senate. <laughs> we could keep it a secret. We'd be living a lie. I couldn't do that. Could you, Anakin? She's a politician, and they're not to be trusted. I've heard this lesson before. You haven't learned anything, Anakin. It's all Obi-Wan's fault. He's holding me back. You're not all powerful, Anakin. Well, I should be. Someday I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. Within the span of a couple of weeks, a much clearer picture of what this movie would end up being had formed. The final glimpse, well, really an all-out blitz, came with the full theatrical trailer titled Clone War that debuted on Sunday, March 10th on American television on Fox and online at StarWars.com. I will not let this republic be split in two. My negotiations will not fail. If they do, there aren't enough Jedi to protect the republic. We're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. You know I don't like it when you do that. Sorry, master. I forgot you don't like flying. Well, you've lost him. If you'll excuse me. I hate it when he does that. Anakin. Don't do anything without first consulting either myself or the Council. You don't need guidance, Anakin. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi. The boy has exceptional skills. His abilities have made him arrogant. Excuse me. I'm in charge of security here, m'lady. They are using a bounty hunter named Jango Fett to create a clone army. Wait. We must stop them before they're ready. Your clones are very impressive. They'll do their job well. Blast! That's why I hate flying! This is a crisis. The Senate must vote the Chancellor emergency powers. As my first act, I will create a grand army of the Republic to counter the increasing threats of the Separatists. 
Hasn't been a full-scale war since the formation of the Republic. You must join me, Obi-Wan. And together, you will destroy the Sith. The dark side clouds everything. In grave danger, you are. I remember being glued to the TV at my dad's house that night and then rushing straight to my compact computer in my room to start the downloading process and making sure to show everyone in my family. I must have kept that browser window open for a week straight. In hindsight, some of the cracks may be showing a bit in these trailers, especially compared to those for episode one, but I think the anticipation the visuals stirred up must have washed that all away like a wave on Kamino. This movie was going to be insane. Here's Mark Newbold from Fanta Tracks and Star Wars Insider with his memories. I'm sitting here in, in almost shock that we're talking about Attack of the Clones being 20 years old. I cannot believe it's 20 years ago. To talk about Attack of the Clones in isolation doesn't really make sense because you've got to take into account that obviously three years before we kicked off the prequel trilogy with The Phantom Menace and so many hopes were pinned on that film and so much expectation that you kind of have to account for the reception to Phantom Menace before you can really tackle the reception to Attack of the Clones. And it really was such a strange time to be a Star Wars fan. I think when we spoke three years ago, three years ago, about Phantom, one of the things that I said was at the time I'd just started Lightsaber, which was the site that I ran for about 10 years. And it was that time period between the US release of Phantom and the UK release of Phantom. And by the time Phantom got to the UK, I think the general obvious lazy trope almost of Jar Jar and everything being wizard, which now, thanks to the Book of Bob Fett, is the coolest phrase in the galaxy again. Lots of elements of Phantom Menace bashery had already sort of invaded the zeitgeist and the thought process of what you were going to get with Phantom Menace. And I say Phantom just is so much better received now. Like all chapters of a book are better received when you've read the whole book. By the time Attack of the Clones came along, the galaxy of Star Wars fandom had shrunk tremendously for a start. It feels that that so many people stepped away. Certainly from online, back in 99, there were so many Star Wars websites. And I remember writing an article on Lightsaber called State of the Union Address, which was basically looking at all the big sites that seemingly disappeared between Phantom and Clones. So when Clones comes out, a very, very different film made in, it almost feels like a different era because in in the time since Phantom, we'd had the launch of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We had the first Spider-Man movie in 2002. We had the second Potter film in 2002. We'd got X-Men movies with us. You know, it was a different era of blockbuster filmmaking. And Star Wars was just, not just, but Star Wars was a part of that. Very, very different landscapes. So when Clones lands, 
which I remember reading was Spielberg's favourite Star Wars film because he loved the mystery element. And I think that's very key to Attack of the Clones. It is a, a very almost linear plot. You know, you're chasing down Django, you're chasing down Zam, you're hunting for clues. It's got a Raiders feel about it. It's got a pace about it and a zip. I know Spielberg compared it to the Maltese Falcon, which of course Raiders was very similar to as well. You bring that into Star Wars and you're delivering something that feels very, very different. And I think now, Clones gets bashed quite heavily for being so different. I celebrate Attack of the Clones for being so different. I still maintain ILM are absolutely at the limits of their techniques and technologies because Clones just feels like they just about managed to make it work. I have spoke to some ILM people who say, no, 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 you know, we knew what we were doing, we had it in the pocket. But just as a, as a viewer who has no real deep knowledge of how visual effects work it just felt like they were really pushing that envelope to make everything they were putting up on screen work and i think it worked fantastically because there's some incredible sequences you look back at phantom and you look at the pod race you look at attack of the clones and you think of ben hanging on to the the droid as they're flying over coruscant and just so many sequences the battle in the rain which was sort of mythical and before attack of the clones came out being online running a site as i did and so many of us did seeing the images those early images the picture of Ewan walking between sets in Australia at Fox Studios in Sydney between sort of stages just reminded me of seeing him on the poster for Kenobi. Just lots of little elements. R.S. Avatar's book had come out. You know, people were excited about that. The soundtrack, we got the score in April. No Qui-Gon's Noble End, thank goodness, on there, but no major spoilers. We'd had the trailer in the March. They set the template with Phantom Menace and they very much saw it through with Revenge of the Sith, which, of course, the circle was complete. StarWars.com was knocking it out of the park. One of my favourite eras of the StarWars.com website was was this time period. It would get even better because we had George Lucas selects and stuff for, for Attack of the Clones. We had hyperspace for Revenge of the Sith. So, you know, things would change and tweak and adjust. So a great time to be a fan. I never got there to Celebration 2, but of course that was the big event in 2002. For my part, I got out to Vegas to see Phantom Menace with my oldest pal, Paul. We managed to get back there in 2002. Very, very fond memories. In terms of story, absolutely pivotal. I'll plant my flag and say I think Attack of the Clones is probably the most important story historically of all the Star Wars movies because this huge personal events happen in pretty much all of the other nine films, the other eight films, if you like. But of, of all of them, when you think what Attack of the Clones kicks off, of course, the Clone Wars, but just so many other little moving parts that move on and lead to other things. I think it's absolutely pivotal what happens in that film. I love the score. I I so wish we could get a Sith edition of Attack of the Clones because I think what Williams did was wonderful and it's so playable. And anything John Williams touches needs to be released in the most epic format ever. Of course, we got it on DVD and it was, I think we got... We got Sith on VHS, but I think around the rest of the world, it was one of the last Star Wars videos, VHSs, to come out. So it was the end of an era there. Certainly it was the last cassette, audio cassette. I think everything was a CD by then. Very, very great memories of Attack of the Clones. Happy 20th birthday. I cannot believe we're saying this. Happy 20th birthday, Attack of the Clones. Keep on knocking it out of the park. Here's Melissa Privet from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who probably saw this movie at the absolute perfect age. My name is Melissa, and I'm from Pittsburgh, PA. Attack of the Clones was my very first Star Wars movie. 
I had always been aware of Star Wars in general, as Queen Amidala had been one of my first Halloween costumes three years before. But Episode 2 had been the first movie I remember begging my parents to see in theaters. And I did, opening weekend in May 2002. When I was six years old, my mom took me to see Attack of the Clones. And for me, it was, to quote Ben Kenobi, my first step into a larger world. I was absolutely spellbound by the movie. After I saw it, I started reading the books, watching the Clone Wars micro-series when it came out, and generally immersing myself in the franchise, so that by the time Revenge of the Sith came out, it felt like I was bidding an old friend goodbye. And now, being nearly 27 and about to watch two-thirds of the prequels trio return to the screen 20 years after the film that started it all for me has been amazing. Attack of the Clones is still my favorite of the movies to watch and has become something of a comfort film for me. I think part of it is not just the nostalgia, but how much of a turning point in the saga it is. In one movie, you have the beginning of the Clone Wars, the beginning of the end of democracy, and the love story between Padme and Anakin, which is ultimately going to be used to doom not only both of them, but the galaxy at large. There are so many things I love about this film. The mystery, the special effects, the amazing costumes, the choreography, seeing so many Jedi on screen at once, and the romance, just to name a few. The music is some of my favorite in all of film, let alone Star Wars, and Across the Stars has been my favorite track for 20 years. But to sum it up, Attack of the Clones has captured my imagination in a way that nothing had before, and encouraged me to immerse myself in this wonderful galaxy far, far away that George Lucas created. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. Special effects was great. It showed more emotion. Jedi's uh, people started fighting each other, but I didn't get who won in the ending. Do you ever have an internal struggle with the good, the evil, the good, the evil? No, evil's the way to go. I like the Empire. It's got a good benefit package. Here's Talking Bay 94's Brandon Winerdy from Dallas, Texas, with another testimonial that speaks to this movie's influence as a fandom-making moment. Hi, my name is Brandon Winerdy. I'm the host of Talking Bay 94, a Star Wars podcast where I interview people that worked on Star Wars. And I'm so glad I got asked to tell a little bit of my experience watching Attack of the Clones for the first time. 2002 makes me 10 years old, which is the perfect time to watch a Star Wars movie for the first time, uh, in my opinion. Um, and so the whole lead up, the whole hype machine was really gearing up directly for me. I remember watching the first trailers and freaking out. I remember hearing about what the title is and freaking out. I remember learning how to use the internet just so that I could figure out leaks on the force.net message boards and trying my hardest to know what was gonna happen in this next movie. And even then, again, 10 years old, I was trying my hardest to spoil myself. Uh, I read the book beforehand, the R.A. Salvatore book. Uh, I went and bought as many toys as I could. And I just remember being so excited for Django Fett, for the clones, for Zam Wessel, for all the different aliens, and of course, for Hayden Christensen and the new Anakin. So when the movie finally came out, we went and saw it. We went and saw it again. We went and saw it again. And it really just kind of took over my whole imagination, playing lightsaber fights with plastic lightsabers in the backyard. Again, buying as many toys as 
conceivably possible uh, and buying as many chip bags as possible. This is a very specific memory and hopefully someone listening has this, that the Frito-Lay chip bags also had like three-dimensional plastic puzzle pieces of the individual Attack of the Clones characters. And that really kind of um, set my imagination on fire. So all that to be said, Attack of the Clones 20 years later is incredible to think about, but also one of those seminal moments for me and, and really cementing my love of what Star Wars is and especially that full-fledged kind of Star Wars theatrical experience with all the merchandise and um, bombasticness of it all and, and just such a blast. You can feel like a hero with Ruffles and Doritos 3D snacks and Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Collect all the cool 3D star picks and see the hidden images only in specially marked bags of 3D snacks. This summer, find the hero inside. <laughs> the power of 3D Doritos is stronger than I thought. I somehow have no memory of that promotion, but the commercial for it, which you just heard, is simply fantastic and very much in the vein of the over-the-top ads that preceded it for the special editions in Episode 1. The thing is, the movie theater pandemonium depicted in those chip commercials really wasn't far off from my first theatrical experience with Attack of the Clones. I guess now is as good a time as any to retell it. Being a mature 16-going-on-17-year-old with friends that were now old enough to drive, Episode 2 wound up being my first foray into the wild territory of midnight screenings. And it was absolutely bonkers. I'd probably pre-bought tickets a week or two ahead of time, and that night lined up in the alley adjacent to the Sacred Place, the Arlington Theater in Santa Barbara, where I'd seen the original trilogy, special editions, and episode one before. I went with a couple of my best friends from high school, well, one from grade school actually, uh, who are still some of my best friends, despite being hundreds if not thousands of miles apart these days. Neither would I classify as huge Star Wars fans, but they were good friends who were always up for some ruckus, which I usually wasn't. But this was my kind of ruckus, and they seemed supportive. There was an orderly rush to get into the theater what seemed like at least an hour and a half before showtime, and every seat of the 2000 in the house, from the balcony up top to the front row down below, was occupied. While I sat relatively quiet, feeling mostly prepared for what I thought I was going to see thanks to Brock's teachings, the audible madness around me escalated steadily. I wondered how many knew what I did or what we were in for. I'll never forget seeing this one kid who was often the target for mockery at school, though he seemed to harness it and enjoy disarming his tormentors by making even more of a scene. I never knew his name, but in the Arlington Theater that night, he was completely unleashed, making more of a scene than he ever had before. Running up and down the aisles, riling everyone up, just being a nut. There were lightsabers waving and toilet paper rolls flying everywhere. It was a 1930s movie palace filled with crazed, mostly young people who loved Star Wars, and it was awesome. By the time the movie was over, I was in a daze, and it's the exact daze that I've experienced every time watching a new Star Wars movie for the first time ever since then. I don't think I slept that night and remember a co-worker and friend from our family's furniture shop that was there that night calling my dad's house first thing the next morning to break things down with me. He felt solid about it being the best Star Wars movie of them all, and I seem to remember tentatively agreeing with him, even if I wasn't entirely sure what I'd seen. I think the single moment that stood out to me from that first show was that jaw-dropping shot of all the Jedi charging into battle against the droids, <laughs> and then my one friend laughing hysterically when Yoda ordered, Around the survivors, a perimeter create! 
rights to laugh whenever I hear that line. The buzz in school the next morning seemed to revolve around whether some of the cheesy romance could be overlooked because of the incredible action. In that moment, at least, I was wishing away whatever uncomfortable feelings the, uh, the mushy stuff may have been causing. Because what did I know? Later that day, I was reprimanded for probably the one and only time for talking too much in class by my history teacher when I was commiserating with a classmate who had historically been kind of smarmy about the Phantom Menace, but had seemed to suddenly be changing his tune with clones. I get it. You guys saw the new Star Wars. Enough already. <laughs> that may have been when I publicly became the quote-unquote Star Wars guy among my peers, whether I wanted to or not. Either way, enough of the movie had worked for me after that first go to keep me excited about seeing it again. That certainly wasn't the case for all, though. Here's Stéphane Facor with a, a bluntly honest dissenting opinion from France. I really enjoyed episode one, and I was even more excited to attend the sequel. As we were expecting, I had the privilege to select the best places in the theater, which was a nice bonus. Uh, the movie starts very nicely until the jaw-dropping scene on Camino. Then it gets pretty worse and Christopher Lee saved the whole movie. I remember being very disappointed and even a bit mad with the mushy romance scenes between Anakin and Padme in the fields. It was like watching an episode from Little House in the Prairie and I didn't pay for that, although I liked the TV show as a kid. In my opinion, episode 2 is unfortunately the second worst movie of the saga, right behind episode 8, of course. And I can't uh, stand watching it anymore. Uh, I don't even recall some nice merchandise about the movie either. Stefan Fokor, March 14, 2022. Now, we disagree about the visuals, so let's okay. put that to one side. There is not one line in this movie that you could quote with any pleasure. It is the most banal script I've ever read. It's just all about exactly what the plot requires them to say in any given moment, and the love story yeah. is, is just... Is just dead in the water. I, I mean, don't think it's dead in the water at all. I didn't feel any chemistry got... between them. And as for the things that they say, uh -huh. those are ancient, ancient, tired, tired, romantic cliches from a thousand, thousand other movies. Well, this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So oh, maybe okay. they invented these oh, cliches gee, and then Shakespeare got idea. them from there. This movie, well, it fared better with some more than others. Here's returning guest Tyler Harper with his 2002 recollections, swinging back to the light a bit. Hello there, Star Wars fans. Uh, hello, Steven. I uh, just wanted to say, uh, hey, I am so, uh, I guess, hyped, excited, um, all those things to be able to reflect on Attack of the Clones, uh, being that it, it perhaps is not my favorite movie, but regardless, I have many memories of it. I do remember hearing the uh, title of the movie. The first time I heard it, I thought it was a joke. But uh, we, you know, we move on past that. So, uh, growing up in a small town, I was uh, I didn't have too many friends that that enjoyed Star Wars very much. I was a little bit on my own, but our family was uh, big Star Wars fans. In fact, I recently uh, discovered that my first memory in my life, the first earliest thing that I recall, is um, when my parents got some used Star Wars toys when I was two years old. That is the first thing I remember in my life. So it's always been in my world. Uh, my family, we recently actually went through some storage units and some, some uh, old toys from episode one. Anyways. So for episode two, when it was coming up, I was uh, just graduating high school and 
my parents and my entire family were going down to Disney World to travel and enjoy the Disney parks. You know, I just graduated. My sister was actually working at Disney World. And uh, I was actually quite thrilled that we were going to be there for the opening of the movie. And I kind of put into plan that we got to see the movie while we're down there. We got to get tickets. So my sister got tickets and they happened to be at, I think, 1030 at night, like the last showing of the day. (laughs) And we had gone to the parks that day. We were tired. My dad actually, we got there early and my dad took a a nap on the the seats in the theater before the movie even started. Uh, This was the first time I remember hearing the announcement at the beginning of the, the movie saying, please keep your lightsabers to yourself or keep them turned off, which was uh, a little comical. But um, the one thing uh, after that showing that I really remember, first of all, I, I love hearing the cheering in a, in a crowd in a theater afterwards. And I loved that, uh, the, the Yoda fight. I was shocked actually when I heard afterwards people thinking it was cheesy. I love the Yoda fight. I thought it was great. And despite some shortcomings in, in the film, there are some great moments. Uh, Geonosis is great. Uh, the whole Obi-Wan storyline is great. Uh, introducing Boba Fett and Jango Fett. Uh, you know, my wife, who has, I think, seen two of two Star Wars films and one of them with me. <laughs> so in her life, she's seen maybe two Star Wars films. She still finds things that she really enjoys uh, within the realm of Star Wars. And uh, that's one thing that I've been uh, very happy about just with, um, you know, growing up, having kids and all that. It uh, you find these little things that you cling to. It does. You don't have to be an aficionado. You don't have to know every single line of dialogue. You don't have to know every single thing. Although that is fine too, and you can be be a big nerd like me. But uh, Star Wars can be enjoyed on many different levels. And I think Attack of the Clones was a, a very different level, and and one film that that I have fond memories of. Last little thing on the DVD. I did not buy any of the prequel DVDs except Attack of the Clones. Why? Because it has the blooper reel that you had to go into a menu. I think it was uh, maybe for uh, subtitles and audio, and you had to press 1138, and then uh, it would pop up and have the blooper reel. That was a huge memory for me, and that was the only reason I ever watched that, or ever had the DVD. I never actually watched the movie, I just watched the bloopers. So, uh, great fun in that Star Wars knew their marketing before uh, they went all crazy through Disney and that sort of thing. So, that's all for me. This is Tyler, signing off. May the Force be with you. (laughs) This is ridiculous. This is just a mean joke. It will look good. At all. So, you know, it was a very interesting experience, and I cannot remember for the life of me what you asked me. <laughs> Star Wars movie releases really do serve as dropped pins in the maps of our lives. Here's Mark Rusciano with a personal tale set in Manhattan. Stephen, how are you? Um, this is either going to be a really amazing uh, audio postcard. Uh, to you regarding my personal experience with uh, Attack of the Clones, uh, this being its 20th anniversary, or uh, it's going to be something that you're probably just going to have cut this off already and just uh, used. Hi, Steven, it's Mark. Um, That's the only thing you put in the show. Uh, It was a crazy time for me uh, at that time. Um, So we'll just just dive right into the therapeutic personal part of this. I think we should probably uh, put a disclaimer to your audience uh, right now, which is something you already know, which is that I'm I'm on the tail end of my COVID battle for the week. So um, 
this is uh this is this is me uh you know speaking on no sleep and having just shot some afrin up both of my nostrils to potentially make me breathe for this recording but yet also just dive right into the personal point of this uh at that time in 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 o two um I had just uh, I had just broken up with uh, uh, my girlfriend that I've been living with for three and a half years and uh, quit my uh, quit my job, cashed in uh, majority of my four hundred one k just so I can live out of my truck uh, to work on a screenplay um, that I just couldn't seem to get done. Uh, so yeah, I was uh, twenty eight at the time too. So this is not some young irrational move. It's a uh, you know just a little bit a little bit more than that. Anyway, uh, so I was actually uh, probably technically homeless at the time that uh, Attack of the Clones premiered. And I had previously been invited um, to by the Children's Aid Society since I was a donator uh, to them uh, and also some people I know uh, on the Tribeca Film Festival. I had been um, invited to an early uh, pre-party and screening premiere uh, for Attack of the Clones. I think, uh, so th- I'm looking at the ticket right now. This is for May 12th. So this is four days before the film came out. Uh, I believe it was the West Coast and East Coast um, bi-coastal premiere that night um anyway it was part of the tribeca film festival uh and it was uh all benefiting the children's aid society so um yeah i was uh it was a red carpet premiere and uh i was uh i was heading there uh, i believe earlier in the morning and again uh the aforementioned situation was that i was homeless so i was living out of my truck so i do remember uh just bothering to not even bring clothes to wear to a premiere event i just i just uh I just went and bought them and then put them on uh, in the actual dressing room uh, and then just walked out in them uh, and then walked straight to the premiere. Um, yeah, I'm actually looking at the ticket right here. I, I have everything. I'll give you some photos as well, too. It's a beautiful, beautiful ticket. Um, but I, I think the, the the biggest thing that was interesting about this is that, um, you know, the pre-party and uh, the screening in the in the Hudson Theater there and the Tribeca Film Festival uh, and the Tribeca Center, actually, uh, were not near each other. So I remember I had to take a bus, like a, an actual like shuttle bus, uh, to get from the pre-party. Uh, by the way, I went by myself. So when I say pre-party, it was me uh, drinking uh, for free, uh, just uh, staring at everybody else, not really having anybody to have any conversations with, because since it is New York, there were actually A-listers there. So uh, I recall ended up, uh, I got on the, the the shuttle early. It was like the second shuttle. Uh, and uh, it was one of those things where like everyone that came on, nobody was alone <laughs> that ever came on, you know, to the bus or even to the theater. And uh, I, I remember uh, Michael, Bal- ba- I think it pronounced it like Batalucci. Badalucho? Badaluco? Is that it? Michael Badaluco, maybe? Yeah, he was in uh, the show at the time, The Practice, I think, on ABC. But uh, I think most people remember him. He played Babyface Nelson in, like, Brother, We're Out There. Who said that? My name is George Nelson. Get me? She didn't mean nothing by it, George. Well, that actor, when anyway, <laughs> there was, like, no seats left on the bus. And he and I think probably his son were coming and the only two seats left were a seat in front of me sitting next to somebody and the seat left to me because I was up against the window. So like he begrudgingly sat next to it, no name or whatever. And like it's that awkward moment where you're on a bus to drive like three blocks in Manhattan where you probably could have walked and it takes like 20 minutes. And, uh, you know, this guy's just showing up his shoulders, rubbing up against me here. He's a he's a broad fellow. 
And uh, I think I probably tried to make small talk about liking the practice, uh, you know, which actually I think I did at the time. I actually watched the practice back when network TV mattered. Anyway, so we get to the event and there's a red carpet and like, you know, they, they hold people, even people, I mean, they hold people even like me before you walk down the road. Like I can't get in the theater without walking down the red carpet, right? Which really honestly makes no sense because I'm sure, I know for a fact, I was not the only non-A-lister at this premiere. And uh, and so uh, I actually ended up walking with uh, Bataluco off uh, with his son off the bus, and he went straight to the bus right down the red carpet. And I was like, let me just get in and just get this over with. It was actually kind of embarrassing. And uh, so they hold me, let him walk down, take the pictures or whatever, right? And then I walk down and like photogs up, you know, they all had their stuff up. And then they all suddenly just acted like they had to change change reels. I'm sure that wasn't all digital film at the time. Suddenly, everybody, everybody had to change their roles, and uh, lenses were down. And I think I probably just shuffled and sashayed down. I didn't. I don't think I stopped and double arm triangled or anything. Uh, anyway, so a really quick backstory of this is that uh, at the time, uh, the job that I just quit, I was working at Lifetime Television, uh, Lifetime Network, right? And there was this really cool cat that worked in the library, uh, tape library that I would hang out with all the time. His name is Randy. I'm not going to say his last name, but really, I mean, he, like one of those guys that like, you know, I'd like to think I was cool, but then you hang out with Randy and you're like, ah, man, I just, uh, I'm not that cool. Right. But he, you know, he was, he had just like the coolest band uh, that he was in or whatever. But we used to, we used to just hide out and smoke uh, cigarettes all the time and just, and just riff on anything. He's a big Star Wars guy too, but riff on just about anything. Right. He was a quiet guy in the corner of the tape library. But he had this huge crush on Karen Allen, and and I used to I used to always marvel at the fact that he was the only person I ever knew that would have like he swore he had pinups of Karen Allen on his wall when he was growing up. Like he's the only person that definitely if I ever met Karen Allen, I told him I'd be like if I told her that there's the one guy who you're his one, right? I'm sure she wouldn't be like oh well I get that all the time. Like no offense to Karen Allen, she's she's beautiful, but it's just it's just not somebody that you hear talking about every day in a tape library. That's their, their number one. So anyway, I get to the theater, and again, like uh, I'm probably not in the best mental state. I think it was raining as well too. So like whatever chic attire I ended up purchasing day of, uh, and and doing my hair in the in said dressing room of that store that I bought my chic attire in. The rain had kind of just dampered everything, and uh, considering I was was on my own at the time, uh, and still in the wake of the the band aid that I ripped off in my life, and uh, I, you know, uh, unfortunately, my my friends, uh, most of my friends were dating friends of my ex girlfriend, so uh, we all know whose side they ended up uh, taking in the heat of the moment. My mom was also annoyed at me, the only other person in New York where I could actually stay. Uh, because she loved my ex-girlfriend so much, she thought I was making a mistake. So again, by the way, I was 28. And also, what does this have to do with Attack of the Clones? I don't know. But um, the, the the point is, is that uh, it didn't take much at the time for me to just uh, kind of uh, seclude into my own head. And here I am at this uh, <laughs> this premiere where I'm out of my league uh, with nobody and just not even being able to impress uh, Michael uh, Bataluco on the, on a bus uh, that I just felt like, all right, let me just get this thing over with. Uh, so I go in and I sit down uh, and I ended up sitting next to Karen Allen and her son. And I thought this was actually just, it was just way, it was just crazy. So I actually started, she's very nice, by the way. 
uh, I started talking to her and I brought up my friend Randy to her. Uh, not in so I didn't like say her son was there. I wasn't going to be like, I've got, you know, this friend that really wants to, you know, it, never mind. Uh, let's keep this clean. But, um, she was very sweet. We talked, you know, um, I had, I had, uh, I had got up and got, you know, cause they had like the free popcorn for, I got popcorn for her and her son or whatever. And, um, when the film started, her son kept asking Karen questions and it got to the point where Karen asked if it was okay if she switched seats with her son uh, so that he could just ask me questions directly. Um, I think it's 50-50 that that was the truth. I think definitely her son, because he did ask me other questions during the film, but also I think I probably over-talked. Um, shocking to anybody that knows me. I probably over-talked Karen because she seemed like a nice welcoming ear. She was very uh, kind. And as I mentioned, I was, you know, six degrees away from going into a dark hole. So anyway, yeah, and ended up, uh, you know, <laughs> ended up probably being a highlight of the uh, of what would have been a gloomy, uh, gloomy day. But, you know, uh, interesting to see Star Wars in, in, in Tribeca Film Festival setting. And Attack of the Clones will um, will always have uh, that pin drop in my timeline of uh, my life that uh, it was an odd, odd moment for me uh, and, and really an odd film for all of us, I probably think, to take in where, you know, watching Yoda flip around was just as surreal as anything else going on in my life. And, um, uh, but I'll never forget it. And, you know, to this day, I still have the uh, Children's Aid Society booklet and a wonderful uh, large ticket and letter, which um, I'll photograph and, um, and send to you, Stephen. Also, on top of it, uh, interestingly enough, to corroborate my story, I actually did look up I did just a straight up uh, Google search of Karen Allen's son, Attack of the Clones premiere. And sure enough, there is a picture on the internet of her with her son, with an umbrella, proving my reigning point. And in her hand, you could see the same premiere booklet that I have. Jeremy Beckett was kind enough to share another fun red carpet encounter he had in London. Hi, my name's Jeremy Beckett and I've got an Attack of the Clone memories I'd like to share. I saw Attack of the Clones at the midnight showing on opening day at the Odeon Leicester Square in London and because I was running late, the guys I was meeting there who had my ticket had to hand it over to the doorman for me to collect when I arrived. So when I got there, I got given my ticket and the door was open for me and as I'm about to step through this guy steps forward out of the shadows introduces himself as Rick McCallum and signs my ticket and he ushers me through the door saying hurry up or you'll miss the text crawl so by the time I get to my seat and I'm looking up at the screen all I can see is the explosion of the Royal Naboo starship but that's okay because I've still got that ticket today and it's one of my prized possessions so Rick tell us what a good day is what is a good day to producer Rick McCallum a good day is when we organize everything uh, efficiently enough to make sure that George can do whatever he's, he's set out to do uh, each day. I mean, the schedule's a big thing for us. We try and do it every obviously each day under budget um, or on budget. But most of all, it's having all the tools that he needs to be able to express himself each day. I don't care about these stinking eyelines. <laughs> Who cares about eyelines?
Up next is a story from Silver, whose Star Wars thrifting Twitter handle and YouTube channel is something that no fan should miss out on. Just so much fun. And there just aren't many people out there that love Attack of the Clones more. Hi, my name is Silver, and I'm one of the co-hosts on Into the Garbage Shoe podcast, also Star Wars thrifting. Um, Yes, Attack of the Clones is very special to me. Can't believe it's been 20 years since this movie. It came out when I was a 12-year-old girl in 2002. Uh, The pre-release hype, um, I can just remember. I remember seeing, watching Phantom Menace and being really excited for the next installment. But I remember just the summer of 2002, how we had Attack of the Clones, a new Star Wars movie, and Spider-Man releasing in theaters. And for being 12 years old, it was just considered one of the best summers because you just knew how special and exciting a new Star Wars movie coming in theaters would be. I got to say that I inherited the original trilogy and episode one as something that I just went with my family because they were excited and yes, enjoyed Phantom Menace, but um, Attack of the Clones definitely is my origin star wars story as to why i'm a big star wars fan is because of this movie and i'm from the bay area and i remember us watching attack of the clones at a century movie theater that was a big dome theater that sat tons of seats and from what i remember it was a big deal because they actually brought the digital projector into the theater an older theater for attack of the clones so there was a lot of excitement in our city for that and there was a huge line (laughs) to watch Attack of the Clones. I did not watch it. Uh, Midnight, I think I went that weekend with my family and it was just mania. It was crazy. The parking lot was full. Um, There were still uh, fans and Jedi robes going to go watch the next movie. Um, So again, like I said, being an impressionable young young kid, you can just really, really sense the excitement. But yeah, I don't remember again how the ticket process was, but you know, we all went. And my goodness, I just remember walking in and seeing a ginormous banner of the um, Attack of the Clones poster and just got me really more excited. But I just remember sitting down in the theater, having a good time watching the amazing action sequences, the uh, Jedi. Um, the Geonosis Arena blew me away. Um, the speeder chase in Coruscant was just mind blowing. I don't think I even had a bite of my popcorn. And I got to say, um, one of the best experiences is sitting next to my dad, who was not big about going to movie theaters, but he had to go see Star Wars in movie theaters. Um, listening to my dad shriek when Yoda pulled out the lightsaber is definitely something that I will always remember. But I got to say that um, it was it was a great time and can't believe we're talking about 20 years later. Um, The theater was roaring (laughs) Um, with excitement. So definitely a memorable experience. Buddha man, Yoda man. When you can bring home the ultimate Jedi Master in the biggest lightsaber-wielding adventure ever. Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones.
The Yoda moment is, well, the moment of this movie. It's impossible to argue against, regardless of where one's tastes land on it. And even if you maybe aren't into it now, I'd bet that you were swept up by it then. I definitely was. And it was such a gamble in the most Star Wars and Lucas way. It had to work, and it's fascinating revisiting some of the hesitation from the filmmakers trying to make it happen. The fun part about it is you've got the retired Jedi, and you've got this incredibly old frog. Mm-hmm. Who's also, we've seen him, but we've never actually seen him fight. This will be the first time you actually see him pull out that little laser sword of his and go to town. Yeah. So that's something that everybody's waiting for. So we have to make it look not funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to make the audience believe what you're saying is true and what you're doing could happen. It's a terrific challenge, it's an even bigger challenge when, in a sense, they know it can't. That'll be challenging. I mean, it, there's... <laughs> and it has to be handled well, because it ha- does have the potential of, of being unintentionally funny if it's not done right. We have this uh, this tiny little you know, two-and-a-half-foot-tall uh, frog creature who's uh, you know, running around with these lightsabers fighting somebody who's over six feet tall. Uh, if not handled just right, it's going to look silly. When, you know, he's got to turn from this funny old man to a the tough Sergio Leone <laughs> killer. Aww. Sergio Leone could do it with Henry Fonda, we can do it with Yoda. <laughs> I would think of him more like a frog. If anything, I, he would spring around to his where he's going. Okay. His big thighs. Okay. We'll try some of Huge that. Huge thighs. We got our Kermit thighs. See, it's Kermit. What we've done is we're going to blend Kermit the Frog with Miss Piggy. This is actually the illegitimate child of Kermit the Frog and oh, Miss Piggy. Oh man, we've never discussed this before, and don't let it get out because if that hits the National Enquirer, we're all dead. It's a very disturbed picture in my head right now. <laughs> Now, you, you had, like this Yoda better than the other Yoda. Yeah, and you know what? Go back Come and look on. at that other Yoda. That it's, other, first that of other all, Yoda, the other you Yoda, you can practically see the guy crouching the underneath the other Yoda never looked like Yoda a sock puppet. puppet like but never, and not only didn't he not look like a sock puppet, puppet, but Lucas has said that he tried to make this Yoda look like the Muppet Yoda. Only so more expressive. See, and there's this whole crouching Yoda, hidden you dragon like the thing. that Yoda turns into an action figure now with his lightsaber? I think that that After is the a next scene movie, that, a, that Star know. Wars fans are going to absolutely love. I loved it's it. totally out of character there's a form. Nice, it's not totally out of character form. That's part of his skills. He's not just this brilliant Listen, philosopher. If you're Yoda, He's also if you're a Jedi Yoda warrior. And you have the Force. He's a Jedi master. If you encompass the Force, you don't need no laser so- saber. <laughs> you do when you're going up against another Jedi dude who's also... Got you just kind of go like powers. this. No, well, you, you're they, Yoda. They, Nobody they, can stop you. Well, <laughs> he, he was being stopped mentally, so he had to go to the physical stuff. Okay. It's a, it's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of great action sequences. Okay, here. well, I'm sure that a lot of people will agree with you. I hope so. Okay. Unfortunately, the debate is not over. Heading back to the Great White North, here's Ryan Dukes with his episode 2, Then and Now. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Dukes, uh, longtime Star Wars fan, co-host of the Fanboy Power Hour podcast, here with some Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Memories, celebrating, which is uh, hard to believe sometimes, is the 20th anniversary of the film. And what can I say, uh, you know... It's a fun film, uh, some slow parts, some very action-packed parts, but 
you know, here's my overall memories of that time, I guess. Uh, I lived in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada at the time. Actually worked in a movie theater, which was kind of awesome. So I still remember the night before the movie uh, came out, working that night and, you know, final cleanup and all that kind of good stuff. And our boss is coming over saying, hey, guys, we're going to screen the new Star Wars movie tonight. Do you guys want in? And I was like, absolutely. So jumping at the chance to go to uh, a night before it came out, uh, screening was awesome. Great employee perk. And I just remember watching that movie that night and getting home super late from it um, because they showed it when, of course, the theater was closed. And, you know, at the time, just being pretty blown away uh, by the film, mostly the just incredibly well shot action stuff and, uh, you know, all the kind of introduction of uh, Count Dooku and all that kind of stuff. And prior to the film, the only thing I really knew, I was pretty good staying away from spoilers and all that, uh, was Yoda was going to fight. And, you know, that is an action-packed scene for sure. And luckily, working at the theater, I saw the film quite a number of times, and most of all the prequel movies I've actually seen. So it was in the, I believe the final count was 13 times in theater. Um, Saw at the IMAX screening of it as well. Um... You know, hard to believe it's been 20 years since the movie came out, but it is a fun film. Sure, people kind of bag on it here and there for the uh, the wooden dialogue and the romance story, but it's got a lot of good features to it, um, especially the beginning with, uh, you know, the attack on assassination attempt on Padme, and then, of course, the speeder chase through Coruscant with Zam Wessel. Of course, the introduction of that mysterious man, Jango Fett. Um, you get to see Anakin really kind of see glimpses of that fate he would later succumb to with Jedi business, go back to your drinks in the bar and certain things like that. You see the bond between him and Obi-Wan established even more since, of course, he's uh, in his 20s now or whatever. And of course, Detective Obi-Wan, you know, unraveling this whole mystery of a clone army. Of course, his great fight with Jango Fett on Kamino and then through the asteroid field and, you know... Of course, if you don't get excited for that Geonosis arena fight, I don't know. You might need to have something checked because it's action-packed when those droids and those Jedi are chasing or running head-to-head towards each other. Just epic stuff. Um, you know, how has it aged in the 20 years since it came out? I think actually pretty well. Uh, you know, fun times. You know, I still remember the hype of it. And like I said, I saw it a lot. And, you know, there's just there's a lot of good stuff in it, you know, that it's kind of what Star Wars movies, to me anyways, are. They're just a fun time at the movies. And that's what this is. Um, you know, we really got to see kind of the beginnings of what Hayden Christensen's um uh, Final performance, or I guess not final performance because he's coming back, but his uh, Revenge of the Sith performance, you could see why George cast him because he's quite good in that film too. Um, Ewan McGregor, great as always. Scores pretty solid, you know, a lot of um, across the stars, the love theme, very nice. Um, but that time, you know, you know, as a Star Wars fan, the fact that, you know, we had another new movie was, was thrilling, you know, it was just, you know, that second age of Star Wars, as I call it, was just, it was a very exciting time, um, you know, with the, not necessarily a Attack of the Clones release for the toys, I mean, they, there were Attack of the Clones figures, but more that Saga collection, blue card, you know, that packaging color scheme was, you know, at least uh, back then, it was, you know, up here in Canada and probably down in the U.S., like, you know, just filled to the brim at Toys R Us. And, you know, it was very striking and it got you. And, you know, it was just an exciting time, you know. Um, 
And that's what Star Wars should be, is just exciting and fun and that sort of thing. And not necessarily, you don't have to take it so seriously all the time, which is good. But yeah, you know, looking at the film in hindsight now through, you know, through the 20-year prism, I guess, I still think it holds up. You know, it's it's a fun film when it's action-packed. It's, you know, it's really rocking and rolling. Sure, it has some quiet moments in it, but that's good because George is trying to develop character and relationships between certain characters, so it's fun. Uh, again, like, you know, it might not be the Star Wars film on the shelf that I reach for to watch all the time, but whenever I do watch it, it's every time, I, you know, those credits roll at the end, I'm just like, this was, it was fun. It's a, it's a very exciting movie, and every time I watch it, you know, it comes to that, that's my usual thought, it's like... Wow, that's it's pretty solid and fun. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, I saw it lots in theaters. With the having the perks of working at a theater uh, was great, and you know, even after that midnight screening or after work screening, where I had to work the next day, so I remember just you know telling people like, "Oh, what are you here to see?" And of course, everybody's there to see Star Wars, and uh, a lot of them asking me, "Oh, have you seen it? Have you seen it?" And luckily, I was like. Well, actually, yeah, I did. And of course, no spoilers, because you never want to take that away from somebody going to the movies. You want them to have that experience with the film that, uh, you know, we all want. And, you know, I remember talking to a lot of people after the movie coming out of the theater and they were asked them, oh, what you think? What you think? And, you know, overall, I mean, I think most people liked it. And again, it's just a fun film, especially, uh, you know, if you were a, a, a child, you know, if you're eight or nine years old and your parents took you to this movie in 2002 like i mean this must have been your favorite one of the uh, of them all because of you know the lightsaber duels and all that kind of stuff but it is you know it's interesting to see because it has been 20 years how it's uh, you know received by the fans now especially with this upcoming uh, this year's star wars celebration with one of the t-shirts in that you can buy now is a 20th anniversary attack of the clones shirt so it's kind of awesome to see the prequel era films you know get some acknowledgement get some love if you were there in chicago i mean uh, uh my favorite out of the prequel movies is the phantom menace i know shocker um but it's nice to see fans you, you know at maybe at the time that didn't like the films uh give them a, a rewatch and another chance and when you look at them through your eyes today and and how they've aged as a as a property like i think they all age very well and and you know clones is one of them and you know, I mean, it's very hard to believe that it's been 20 years already. But, you know, that was an exciting time to be a Star Wars fan. If you were back on the Rebel Scum boards or anything like that, you know, it was exciting. Lots of new product if you were a collector. And, you know, just an overall fun time was had during uh, the age of the, the prequel era and during the release of this film, Attack of the Clones. Just a good time to be a Star Wars fan, just like it is now. You know, there's always constantly new projects and stuff, and it's nice to see that. It's nice to reflect on um, the past history of Star Wars, because, you know, without George Lucas, you know, doing those six films, I'm not sure anything else gets made until the Disney merger, which we've seen lots of ups and downs, just like other eras of Star Wars. But overall, hey, Attack of the Clones, fun film. Give it another watch if you haven't watched it in a long time. I think you'll like it and just go in and watch it through new eyes and just, I think you'll appreciate that. You know, overall, this is a fun film.
Someone who most certainly embraces the fun of Attack of the Clones is Jason Gibner from the Blast Points podcast. I'd consider him a true believer of this movie and a true advocate. Hey, Steven and Star Wars at the Movies. This is Jason from Blast Points. Checking in with my theatrical experience for Attack of the Clones. And I don't know, when I think back to that period of time, I think of how much The Phantom Menace just sent my fandom into overload, into hyperspace with excitement. And I think of the buildup to Attack of the Clones with all the webisodes coming out on StarWars.com and all the Star Wars Insider articles with giving us little pieces of information along the way with casting and photos from the set. And then going to see Attack of the Clones in the theater and it being so surprising in so many of the best weird Star Wars ways never knowing exactly what was going to happen next, loving every second of it. I still love Attack of the Clones dearly. It's one of my favorite Star Wars movies of all time. But it really, when I think of the theatrical experience, I think of how much my fandom was just in overload, waiting for that movie, and my excitement was off the charts. I don't think I'd been that excited for a Star Wars movie since I was, what, six years old, seven years old or whatever for Return of the Jedi. I was so excited and I am so happy that with the 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones, that deeply misunderstood Star Wars movie is finally getting its due. Thank you for asking me for this. So happy to spread the Attack of the Clones love even just a little bit. So Jason and Gabe over at Blast Points are in the midst of an incredible entire year dedicated to Episode 2, AOTC year, and it's an absolute must-listen whether you love this movie or not. And if you do, oh man, you are in for a treat. Next up is a story from Kyle the Collector, with a K, who was just about my age when Attack of the Clones was released. Hey, this is Kyle the Collector! That's Collector, spelled with a K. You can find me on YouTube. I cover all things collectibles, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, all that. So check it out. But I'm here to talk about my experience when Attack of the Clones came out in the theaters. Man, back in 2002, it was a different world 20 years ago. So at that time, we had had episode one come out three years before. And that movie had the highest expectations ever. And it really didn't deliver on for some people, especially the older fans. Me, I thought Darth Maul was pretty cool, but then he was gone. And really all I saw going forward that I was excited about was like Obi-Wan, because Ewan McGregor obviously has done such a good job that he's reprising the role uh, this year. So, of course I was going to go, growing up a huge Star Wars fan. But that time, we were kind of looking for our own Star Wars for my generation. I was 17. Um, we kind of got The Matrix, and we thought, wow, is that going to be like our Star Wars? And of course, Lord of the Rings had just come out, and that really felt like, wow, this is like the original trilogy by Tolkien, and this could be like what we remember the most from our time. So, George Lucas had quite a different climate from 99 to 2002 so he really had to bring his a game and i really feel like he did um at least for me 
at my age, a 17-year-old. So I really like how they did the time jump to have Anakin as a teenager, which was my age. I kind of connected quite a bit to him and his feelings and all that. Um, obviously, George Lucas heard a lot of disgruntled fans, and he took that input, and he put it to good use, I feel like. So here we open... You know, Jar Jar's in it, but they kind of brush him to the side real quick. And this really has to catch up with a lot because episode one introduced this prequel world and episode two was going to then play in it, I feel like. We need to get our Clone Wars on and episode one really didn't set up anything for that. So George Lucas thought, well, everyone loves Boba Fett and I totally misused him as far as, you know, he didn't do what people were hoping he would do, you know, in Return of the Jedi. So. Why don't I put him front and center? His dad is the, you know, person who they used to clone from for the clone army. So I thought this was all great. We got to see the slave one or whatever you call it, his ship again. So we saw his armor, you know, it was all painted a different color. Um, it was really amazing to me to see that in a movie that was brand new, that they actually went and did that. With Maul gone, you know, it was like, who's going to be Sidious's right-hand man? And my gosh, I mean, they hired Christopher Lee. And he had just come from his role as Saruman. Dude, super evil. So perfect casting. I mean, blew me away that they did all this. Yes, I know people hated the love story just like Anakin hates sand. I mean, I, uh, it is what it is. But you got to remember, this is a forbidden teenage love. So this is kind of like a Romeo and Juliet. George Lucas didn't have Harrison Ford this time. He knew exactly how to make an entertaining love story with him. He's this gruff guy that just annoys the heck out of women, but they actually do love him. And, you know, they're just always bickering and fighting, whether he did that with, you know, the women from Indiana Jones and then, of course, with Princess Leia. They didn't have that option this time, so we got what we got. But, you know, if you take out those cheesy lines, I really think we have a good movie. I mean, Mace Windu, he got his purple lightsaber in this one. Um, the Geonosis uh, arena scene. Whoa, that blew me away. So I couldn't believe then we unfold into the Clone Wars, you know, on Geonosis. We get to see where the plans for the Death Star came from. I mean, this movie literally blew me away and then it ends on that wedding scene. I love this movie and its location so much. I actually proposed to my wife in the Plaza de España there in Seville, Spain, uh, because I felt like it's such a beautiful scene. So that's that courtyard that they walked through when they arrived in Naboo, Anakin, and Padme. So just an amazing movie. I saw it in IMAX theater. Also, to see the Clone War battle scene in a screen that big blew my mind at the time. So um, I know this movie gets a lot of hate, but for me, it holds a special place in my heart. It's definitely my favorite of the prequels, you know, and just one of my favorite movies overall. Um, I really think George Lucas really couldn't have done much better, at least for what I wanted. So looking back at 20 years after, um, yeah, I very much appreciate this movie and feel like, you know, it's one not to miss. So definitely when you rewatch the saga, this one definitely belongs in there, of course, just like episode three. So that's my take. Once again, I'm Kyle the Collector, Collector with the K, and uh, that's my experience from the summer of 2002. It was a blast to see this in the theater. I saw it multiple times.
The last little vignette comes from my good friend and Kivecast co-host Skypane, who got to live the dream and catch a new Star Wars movie at the one and only Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood before it was given a modern remodel as an IMAX theater. It still has a lot of the old charm today, but it's just not quite the same. Attack of the Clones. Hi, Steve. It's Sky. Attack of the Clones, you know, it's the sixth best Star Wars movie. And, you know, one of the three best movies of this century. Um, and I have to say that my memories of it are very particular. They're very tied into a specific point in my life. And I think probably a lot of people my age have a similar attachment. Um, part of what makes all the prequels so interesting is their connection to young adulthood and different stages of young adulthood, either sort of being in college and, and celebrating it with your friends or being out of college and having that sort of adulthood cynicism. Um, I know, Steve, you weren't even born when episode two came out, but for those of us who were, you know, it was a, it was a very exciting, the whole thing is very exciting and confusing. And I think episode two has a different way. So episode one obviously had the big disappointment and everyone was all butthurt about it because they didn't understand uh, George Lucas and uh, they weren't able to follow along with him and they were just waiting for the last 10 minutes of Rogue One. But for episode two, like, so I was like a, I was in this weird state where I was... Uh, with my future ex-wife, uh, we'd already sort of uh, been through, or we were about to go through a pretty rough breakup. Now that I'm thinking about it in my in my timeline here, and we went down to L.A. to visit my friends. Now the weird thing is, at this point, I was totally into Star Wars. Now for Episode One, I you know I was living in France when it came out, and it was just sort of you know I I sort of was too cool for Star Wars at that point. But by episode two, I'd already settled into uh, basic Generation X or white guy mode. You know, I was living in a coastal city, paying too much for rent, uh, getting paid really terribly for kind of a weird job. I was an assistant to a gym teacher, not an assistant gym teacher, an assistant to a gym teacher. Um, and so I had this kind of weird life. And the main thing I like to do with my money was buy Star Wars toys, but I wasn't buying vintage at this point. I, I didn't, I still bought all the Chewbacca I could, but I hadn't quite figured out how to buy vintage. So I was buying all the Saga figures. I was there, I was going around with my brother Lobart and we were <laughs> going to, we had a whole circuit around the Bay Area in California because I lived in Oakland at the time where we'd go to the, the, the Target in, in Fremont and then the Target in Hayward and then we'd go to the Toys R Us and we had a whole circuit that we would go on and we'd try to find the toys and I was obsessed with finding the Bloody Stump Luke. Out in Concord, California, there was this weird store, a brick and mortar store called Action Figure Source that was run by these two twin brothers <laughs> had these hilarious uh, Californian accents um, and you know, so I, I would I would try to get all of the episode two figures as well, especially including the Yoda. If you don't know, if you weren't alive back then, Steve, the Yoda figure was insanely hard to find. Everybody bought it immediately. It used to be on a big markup. It was a whole thing. So I was desperately trying to find space in my little apartment in the Temescal region of Oakland to fit all my stupid Star Wars episode two toys with the dumb blue background. <laughs> Uh, and it was a very exciting time. I almost went to celebration, 
but I decided not to because I wasn't that big of a nerd. I mean, how big of a nerd would you have to be to go to a Star, a Star Wars convention, Steve? Not me. Like I said, I think a lot of our feelings about the, the prequels are really located in our feelings about young adulthood. And so for episode two, we went down to Los Angeles. So I, I lived in Los Angeles briefly um, after this, and I had friends who lived in L.A., and it was just one of my favorite places to be. I just, I loved being there. And I thought, how cool would it be to go see Star Wars in the Chinese man's theater? That's a joke, of course, man's Chinese theater. My whole life, I grew up with the great myth of Star Wars in 77 and the, the crowd out front. Like, just, just saying man's Chinese theater, the first thing that comes to your mind is the line around the block in 1977. Can you tell us, Steve, on this podcast when that picture was actually taken? I'm curious, like, was that in May? Was that in June? When was that picture? You can tell us. A quick interruption, as uh, requested here. So the famous footage and the photos of all the Star Wars hullabaloo at the Chinese theater was actually mostly from an August 5th, 1977 ceremony where Vader and the droids added their footprints to the famous courtyard out front. All right, back to Sky. So... I didn't know that this would be one of the last times you could you could even do this before you know Disney made it difficult to do anything that wasn't at a Disney theater. So I went and I you know I didn't buy tickets ahead of time. I didn't go and, and wait online in in a tent or anything like that. Because Steve, I was too cool. I was too cool to do that. So I don't. I didn't even see. I, I didn't go on the premiere. I think it must have been like the 10 o'clock showing on that Friday. And I had been keeping up with StarWars.com. Uh, StarWars.com, at some point, Steve, you're going to have to do a whole episode about StarWars.com and how it led into the, the theater-going experience because it was pretty interesting. But we went to the 10 o'clock showing. We waited probably an hour and a half. This is before I had kids. So this was just me and my future ex-girlfriend, future ex-wife. Uh, realistically, some of the best times that we ever had together were in line <laughs> waiting to go see Star Wars. And we waited in line, and it was, it was everything I could have hoped for. It was the attitude. It was the atmosphere. It, whatever that thing is about, about man's Chinese theater, like it was there that night. A totally packed crowd, totally excited. And here's the thing. Everybody, everybody, can just just bugger off if you don't like Yoda using a lightsaber. <laughs> there are two scenes in that movie which absolutely scrambled my brain. Was as exciting to me as Luke, I am your father, was to the generation before. The first one was when all of the Jedi went into battle with their lightsabers. In the post-Disney era, in the post-Episode 2 era, we don't know the idea of multiple Jedi doing anything. So you can go back and you can look at it and you can say it's poorly CGI and you can say all the Jedi, all the Jedi were just random dudes at ILM <laughs> with like a robe on. I, I get it. But that moment was made for the theaters and it was so exciting. And the, and when I was watching, I didn't know Yoda was going to have a lightsaber fight. I just didn't know. So when he got up there and he walked up and it was slow and William's music is perfect. And then he has the wizard fight. And I was like, okay, that's just the wizard fight. 
and then the lightsaber came out and he's jumping around, the frenetic nature of that needs to be best understood in the context of a movie theater because it's so frenetic and you're sitting there and you can't believe that Yoda is jumping around. He's jumping around. He's, he's not just on someone's back. He's jumping around with a lightsaber. He's going all over the place. It is the best Star Wars moment. That's it. Nothing will ever beat that moment in a movie theater at Man's Chinese Theater. And I understand that it doesn't look that good now and that it's a little bit silly to have a little frog, but it totally worked then. We then went to see it at a different theater the next morning. We then went to see it at a different theater, I think it was in Century City, the next evening. And we then saw it on the Sunday Whatever it was, yes. And then we saw it on Sunday one more time. We saw it four times in one weekend. We were totally psyched for it. I remember sleeping uh, in my friend's uh, guest room, my friend Ted's guest room, and I couldn't get to sleep because I had all these theories about Count Dooku. <laughs> and I was, I was so excited about Count Dooku as a character. I would then continue to see the movie, I think, four more times, including once in IMAX. Another thing that Lucas doesn't get enough credit for is major, you know, really bringing in the revolution of watching uh, tentpole movies in IMAX, the fact that he re-edited it. And the other thing was digital projection. Now, that was another obsession that I had. At the time, there weren't that many places to see movies in digital projection. And I know, Steve, you're a film archivist and digital projection sucks. I know it does. But at the time, it was noticeably different and noticeably exciting. I remember going with my brother, visiting what must have been sometime in the summer, visiting him and tracking down what I call digiproj, a digiproj uh, of episode two. So I hope you talk about digiproj as well, because that was a really big deal. And Lucas was totally set to destroy Kodak film. And, you know, then Star Wars came back in 2015 with the goal of totally saving Kodak film. Star Wars' relationship to technology is very complicated. So anyways, that's my stories uh, about Episode 2. Uh, I still stand by it as a great movie and as the worst of the real Star Wars, which uh, maybe we'll talk about sometime on our podcast, CADCAST, uh, Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast. All right, I'm in my office hours, so I'm, I have to go teach. Uh, do you have a catchphrase on this show, Steve? Uh... You, 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 you should start off every episode with, check out the flicks. I'm just going to give that one to you. The latest Star Wars movie, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, opens in theaters around the world on Thursday. It's more than just another installment in the series from filmmaker George Lucas. It was supposed to usher in an entirely new kind of cinema. That's because Episode 2 was shot and edited on digital video. Lucas had hoped it would be projected that way, too, but so far, fewer than 75 commercial theaters worldwide are using the technology, as Mark Uricke from member station WKSU reports. The word film may soon become an anachronism. Do not assume anything, Obi-Wan. Clear your mind must be if you are to discover the real villains behind this plot. More and more movies are being shot and edited on digital video, and they're beginning to be projected that way. The Motion Picture Association, the movie industry's international trade group, calls the shift to digital cinema an historic change. The MPA's chief technology officer, Brad Hunt. There's very few points in time when an industry gets to do this. We did it when we transitioned from silent pictures to sound, and when we transitioned from black and white to color. 
well, this is really one of those very important moments in time for an industry. But just as audiophiles weren't completely happy with the switch from vinyl records to compact discs, not everyone believes digital cinema is as good as film yet. The Cleveland Museum of Art's film curator, John Ewing, favors celluloid. But when he saw a side-by-side comparison, he conceded digital looked better at that screening. Part of the problem is that a lot of films aren't well projected. A lot of theaters don't have lamps that are bright enough, or it's not in focus. But, but I think if you took the optimum film viewing experience and the optimum digital viewing experience, I think even now most people would say film is aesthetically superior. But few people are able to see clean film prints under optimum conditions. Today's digital projection may not have the visual depth of film, and objects may blur when moving quickly, but it does not tremble or scratch like film. Russ Wintner is an executive with Technicolor, which copies and delivers digital movies, as well as standard celluloid. Digital is better because what you see the last day of the third week of a run is just as crisp and clean and wonderful as the first day, and that isn't true with film. That means a movie will look just as good in Hollywood, Alaska, as it does in Hollywood, California, because the digital data remain identical. For theater owners, going digital is not an easy choice, A top-of-the-line digital projector and sound system will cost exhibitors about $150,000 a screen, six times the cost for film. And while film projectors may last 20 years, the digital versions could be obsolete in three or four. An ever-changing digital medium may not archive as well as film. This year's digital Star Wars could end up being next year's eight-track tape. Ah, the quest for Digiproj. (laughs) That really is the perfect label for it and one that I'll be sticking with from here on out. The whole digital production and distribution saga of this movie gets overlooked today, and I think that really only speaks to its absolutely forward-looking success. Lucas had hoped for clones to screen digitally in 2,000 theaters nationwide, but when it opened, only 19 had the Digiproj capability to do so. That is just crazy to consider, especially when you think about how many exhibition-ready film prints of The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, or The Rise of Skywalker exist. The answer is next to none. Film projection is the novelty now, and Digiproj is the standard and an afterthought. And so are big blockbusters getting released in IMAX. What I would give to see that Episode 2 IMAX cut again. Driver's license acquired by then, I definitely made a trip down to Universal City to catch that in November of 2002 with the same two goofballs that went with me to the midnight premiere back in May. It was a pure injection of Star Wars audiovisual splendor and an instance where the technical limitations of the presentation actually helped the movie so much, at least for me. But back to Digiproj. As he so often is, Lucas knew what he was talking about and what he was doing. But that was no sure thing to his peers back in the early 2000s. The quality of an image that's captured on a digital camera does not stand up against the same image that would be captured on a piece of motion picture film. When you're shooting a film, it's like doing beautiful art, you know, traditional art. Uh, Video today is still modern art, not even good modern art yet. There is a lot of controversy about the fact that we're shooting this digitally. As far as I'm concerned, they should have been shooting digital cinema 20 years ago. People say, why am I doing it? The real question is, why not? I am sure it will improve eventually. It's, it's, digital is work in progress. Breathing down the neck of the, uh, of the film camera. 
It doesn't mean that technology is going to make the film any better. That has nothing to do with art. I think Rick was onto something there, at least idealistically, in that technology really shouldn't have anything to do with the inherent quality of art. But I think there's always been this push and pull internal struggle between form and substance when it comes to Star Wars, and George Lucas in particular, that's really at the heart of film history itself. Digital doubles, digital beards, digital environments, the lasting impact of the boundaries this movie was pushing are absolutely evident now. But can the art and science of movie making be independently appreciated when it comes to a single film? In a lot of ways, yes. But Attack of the Clones is just such a critical point in that timeline that it's tough to separate the technology from the art. <laughs> in an attempt to do so, I'm going to read a review that I wrote at age 17 in the summer of 2002 on the very TheForce.net Jedi Council forums that Brock mentioned near the start of the episode. Here we go. Cringe along with me. And I quote, I thought that most of the acting was satisfying, with some shining performances and a couple bad spots mixed in. The three tops for me were Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, I really grew to like the character much more, Chris Lee as Count Dooku, very subtle and somewhat calm, with a dark charm and class, very sinister and evil, and Ian McDiarmid as Palpatine at number three. He does such a wonderful job at portraying Palpatine's rise through the ranks, and plays a great phony that most fans would have no idea that he's up to something. <laughs> These three, in my opinion, were the most consistent, strong performances. I also thought that some of the supporting characters did great, for what little screen time and dialogue that they had. First choice for this category being Jango Fett. Mace Windu once again showed his serious Jedi side following order, while getting some other shining moments from other sides of his character. The surprise in the arena and the little dialogue he had during the clone battle. <laughs> Pilot, land over there near that assembly area. <laughs> Sorry, that was an interjection. Um, Okay, here we go again. Quote, I also found Klee Lars to be very believable, adding a different type of personality and voice into the film. As far as Anakin and Padme, both had shining moments and both had a couple disappointing moments. I loved the way Hayden mixed so many emotions into the character. Arrogant, serious, stern, passionate, obsessive, dreamy, anger, hatred, and sadness. His most convincing emotions were that of hatred and pain, with obsession coming in at a close second. Portman's shining moments were when she was acting like a normal everyday person, slipping out of the senator's shoes. While I do think she did well as a political voice in the film. I thought her two best scenes were the love pledge, while some find it cheesy, I fell for it, and the meadow picnic, despite a few weird lines. Oof. Okay. The animated characters, while not performed with live humans, still have a very important role in the film. The animation, for the most part, was great for each character. Frank Oz was awesome as the good old Yodster. I loved Dex awesome voice performance and animation, and the Kaminoans were very cool, both voice and character design and movements. The Geonosians were great as well. Watto was wonderful as he was in TPM. All in all, A plus with the CGI characters. As far as negatives, there weren't any serious ones, just a few background characters that I didn't find completely convincing. Captain Typho, Corday, Newt Gunray's buddy, couldn't stand the voice, only real complaint. We must get the starships back into space. The biggest problems were the very small roles of Owen and Beru. Just a scene or two between them and Anakin and Padme would have fleshed their characters out much more. Only bits and pieces of dialogue handicapped the acting. Two in particular that come to mind are Anakin's, quote, sand line, and Padme's, quote, following thoughts through to conclusion from the fireplace chat. But no big deal to me. Most of the rest of the dialogue was just fine to me with some very exceptional lines. 
I watch Star Wars for wonderful visuals and a captivating story, so acting doesn't affect me that much. But for AOTC, I thought it was very satisfying. In some areas, exceeding my expectations. Anywho, I've been babbling for way too long. If you made it this far, congrats. I'll say that if you've made it this far into the podcast, congrats as well. Thanks so much to everyone for taking the time to record and send in their stories. It means so much. I hope this celebration of episode 2 brought warm feelings to your heart, as it did mine. If you need more clones, check out the full show notes in the episode post on the main site, StarWarsAtTheMovies.com, along with a new article showcasing a bunch of theatrical artifacts of the era. I wanted to give a quick shout out to the beautiful underlying lo-fi music track from the episode's intro by the great artist Chill Astronaut, who you can find on various digital platforms, and to the miracle that is the Internet Archive and all the web archivists out there. 2002 still exists in web form in large part due to such efforts. For everything Star Wars at the Movies, you can keep up with the project's Facebook page and join the group, and follow along on Instagram and Twitter. I'm also on Twitter at Stephen B. Danley. Finally, if you enjoy the show and have the time to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, it would be so, so appreciated. Until next time, may the force be with you, bro. And remember, relax. It's only a movie, and it's all for fun. Cut! Okay, that was good. Cut I loved it. That was beautiful. That was magnificent. Sorry, totally south. Whether there'll be anything quite on this level in terms of a real six in the next film, but you know, it'll be more like uh, Empire, where it's you know, mostly just personal rather than grandiose. That's what you said last time. Well, I said, well, I said this is a love story, and it's not a... Yeah, so there's going to be lots of visual effects this time, because it's a, <laughs> it's a love story. I lied, didn't I?